Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever and wherever it is that you're listening to us, we want to thank you in advance. We as fans have always appreciated your inputs as fellow fans. When you're happy, we're happy. When you're upset, we are too. But sometimes we're just a little bit more honest. We are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. You can find us on Twitter at Bastards underscore Boston. I am your host, Cody Paulson, coming to you from Houston, Texas, by way of Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. You can find me on Twitter at the Cody Paulson. Our other hosts for this episode are Terry Cushman, coming to us from Myrtle Beach in South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine, and Micah Storms, coming to us from Reading, Pennsylvania. Micah, how are you doing tonight, and where can the fans find you on Twitter? Cody, I'm doing well. Um, we're, we're, we are recording this on top of a Red Sox win, and then I recently just found out that the Red Sox, or the Yankees blew a, a four-run lead and lost in the bottom of the ninth, so I'm even better now. Um, so that's good. And the fans can find me at ballpark buzz on Twitter and only Twitter. Right on Terry. How are you doing tonight? And where can the fans find you on Twitter? I can be found, uh, at Cushman MLB. I was just being polite cause I can't mute myself. So I, uh, waited to crack my energy drink when it was my turn to talk. Um, yeah, I wish it was, something alcoholic but i have to get up early um but yeah ready to talk some random baseball stuff and uh haven't really been causing too much mischief on twitter as of late red Sox have been winning so yeah if terry's uh silent you know that the team's doing uh, all right <laughs> but that's a that's a great segue to get into our topics for the night we're gonna do totally legit or calling the cops in terry, my in you. my defense though like when we lost the tigers i did i said nothing as well so i don't it's not automatic that i'm gonna dump on the team when we lose on the bastards accounts but but yeah but anyway carry on very well. Uh, so for our first totally legit or calling the cops, Tristan Casas will be the highest priority extension candidate this offseason. Terry, is this totally legit or are you calling the cops? We did discuss this a little bit in the last episode, but um, it's totally legit for me. We learned the hard way, you know, in the Devers situation that um, you don't want to wait too long. Because you're going to end up coughing an extra 100, 150 million for the player. And it's better to just kind of get it out of the way early. So I don't know what really we're looking at here with Casas. Some of the, you know, some of the nerds would put it at, you know, seven years, 90 million. I certainly think it's going to exceed. A uh, hundred and, and perhaps maybe drift closer to 150 at this point, but I think that's fine. I think he's going to be one of our biggest impact bats, probably number two behind Devers. And like I said, you don't want to wait because the longer you wait, the less leverage the Red Sox have and the more leverage he's going to have. And then if he's got the leverage, the price tag goes up. So um, there's also going to be no luxury tax implications this winter. Uh, we're going to be under it. So uh, even, even more reason to do it. Micah, is this totally legit or are you calling the cops? I think it's totally legit. And with us, it's, 
you bu- you got to buy the hitter that he he is, and I think there's even more room for growth moving forward. There's not a lot of teams that really give out these types of contracts right away. But if you look at one team that has had so much success over the last couple of years, and to me, they're the kind of the model franchise is the Atlanta Braves. They seem to do this when they find a guy that they really like, they say, we're going to commit to you. And that's that. Um, So I I think with Casas not playing a premier position, I don't think he's going to be as expensive as maybe some of the other players. You know, Wander Franco got, I think it was 11 years for 182 million. So not crazy. If you look at Michael Harris for the Braves, he signed eight and 72. So I think maybe Casas finds his way somewhere in between there. But I wouldn't personally sign just a seven-year deal. I would go much further than that because you want to get control um, for paying a player during his pre-arbitration year. So to me, if you're going to sign a, if you're going to sign Casas, it should be like a nine or ten-year deal, um, 110, 120. I think somewhere around there would make sense. Um, again, he's a first baseman. You know, first basemen aren't going to make crazy money. Um, just because of the position they play. They're not the $300 million players. They look at Freddie Freeman. I mean, he's one of the best hitters in the game, but he didn't sign a $200-plus deal. He was under that because he's just a first baseman. So I think with the fact that you're going to pay all of his pre-arbitration years along with his arbitration years, I think you could get Casas for under $120 million. If you can keep Casas in between the ten to fifteen million dollar a year range, I think it's a no brainer. I mean, this guy has obviously shown more than just flashes of of what his upper level can be with room to grow, right? You know, he uh, has this consistent approach. He has you know a great batter's eye, and if he can add that thirty five to forty home run power, we're looking at a perennial all star. You know, his defense is only going to get better. His his approach at the plate is only going to get better. And I think, you know, had you had this conversation at the beginning of the season, this was a no brainer. I'm calling the cops, but he is quickly flipped the script on, on that discussion. And I think it is totally legit as well. I think you have to lock down, um, you know, maybe not a premier player or sorry, a premier position, but locking down a corner infield position is crucial to teams that win. Right. And, you know, a guy that has that ability to to leave the park at any moment and, you know, keeping him at a low AAV value, I think, only gives the Red Sox more flexibility moving forward to, you know, maybe add in that extra piece that pushes us over the top uh, on a World Series uh, pursuit. Terry, over to you. I'm oh, sorry. I didn't know if you were done or not. Um, I, I think it is going to be a little higher than what we're used to seeing. Um I think Tristan Casas could possibly be about as good as Freddie Freeman. And I think if Freddie Freeman was in his early to mid twenties right now, I I think he'd certainly be looking at a lot more than, than what he signed, you know, seven or eight years ago, whenever it was Um, another contract that um, I think, I think the player kind of screwed himself was Ronald Acuna by taking his deal, which I think topped out around a hundred or 120 after the options uh, kicked in. 
because you look at what J-Rod just got, I mean, Acuna should have got about that. I mean, they're both similar value. They impact teams in a similar way. So I think the model for Casas here, I I may be a little high, but I I don't think I'm going to be too far off. Um, I'd give him probably seven years, 140. So that's 20 million per. That's essentially what Trevor Story uh, got. And I would tack two expensive options onto the end of that to, to stretch it out to nine years. So I, I'd, I'd make each of those two option years uh, $30 million apiece. So that would bring the overall total to uh, $200 million over the next nine years. Uh, and what's also important here that the Red Sox should you know, consider as they're approaching some of these young guys is they have a terrible reputation for not paying players, for not valuing their young kids. So this could be an opportunity for them to start to kind of turn the tides on that narrative. And even like I said, I I could be a little high. It could, it could end up being 160 or 170 million once the options are, you know, are tacked on. So uh, that that's about the, the range that I would look at. Because, I mean, even though he is a first baseman, I mean, like I said, I think he's our second best hitter for the foreseeable future. And, you know, some of the, you know, some of the pessimists out there, and, you know, I'm, I'm a pessimist <laughs> a lot of the time, might say, well, what if, what if he's just riding a high right now and, and then goes on another rough stretch. And to that, I would say, I think his roughest days are behind him. I don't think we're ever going to see the April and May that he had. I I think he's better than that. I think he's kind of figured it out. The confidence is there. And um, I I would lock him up for at least the next nine years. He turns, he turns 24 uh, in uh, I think September. So that essentially takes you to his age 33 season, at which point he shouldn't be commanding a ton. You should be able to extend him, you know, or just give him a, another contract after that. Maybe similar to what Freeman signed. Micah, you have something you want to add? Yeah, I was, I was thinking the first base position is, it's not super strong in terms of like young talent that really can mash. Um, the one player that comes to mind that I would really be curious to see what he would demand on the open market is uh, Pete Alonzo of the New York Mets. He is a free agent in one uh, um, in after next season. So the number he would get, I would be very curious because there's no way Tristan Casas would be able to top that number because the Red Sox would still be trying to pay out his pre-arbitration and arbitration years. So he would be making significantly less uh, and the Red Sox could kind of um, fill the gap in with more money. So what Pete Alonso would get now, obviously he's probably not getting a, well, he could get a contract this year. We'll see. I don't know what the Mets, I don't think anybody knows what the Mets are doing, but that would be a contract that I'd be interested to see what the number would be. And then to kind of work off of that. Very well. Three totally legit on Tristan Casas is the highest priority for extension. Terry. 
something else. I'm not a big uh, Spo Track guy. I don't. I don't know if you guys checked that out, but that site is saying that his um, annual salary is worth thirty-seven point one million. <laughs> so that blows it out of the water for for first baseman. I don't. I don't think he'll get that necessarily, but. So they they have him at um, ten years, three hundred and seventy one uh, million, and I think that'll be going close to his age thirty season. Let's see, he's twenty eight years old and two hundred and fifty seven days. So, <clears throat> so he'll basically be turning thirty the winter that he becomes a free agent uh, if he isn't extended before that. I think this is high, but. I certainly think he could end up three hundred million overall. I think will be something interesting to follow. Hopefully, uh, the front office gets it done. Moving on to our next totally legit or calling the cops, Garrett Whitlock will remain in the bullpen in the twenty twenty four season. Terry, is that totally legit or are you calling the cops? I'm going to say totally legit. <laughs> it's bad. If I if I have to call the cops, it's going to be on Bloom to have him arrested for putting him in the starting rotation and probably being responsible for the fact he only pitched 50 innings because he hurt his elbow three times over the course of the season. But we were talking, you know, prior to coming on, what the bullpen will look like next year. And, you know, Chris Martin and Jansen are both under contract through next season. Uh, neither one. I mean, there's no justification for taking them out of their current roles. So I think you could see Whitlock in a, in a two inning role and I wouldn't call two innings bulk, uh, you know, but you could see him in a two inning role on a night that perhaps Martin has off. So, you know, Whitlock pitches the seventh and eighth to get to Jansen. And there could be nights Jansen has the night off, so he'll pitch the seventh or eighth to presumably get to Martin uh, in the ninth. But um, I think that's how it'll play out next year. Uh, beyond that, I don't see why he couldn't be the closer of the future uh, after 2024. Um, he's never demonstrated at any point in hit not only his career but his adult life that he can pitch over a hundred innings and starters have to pitch at least 150 you know for it to be a productive healthy season so I don't ever see him accomplishing that I just I don't think he's got the durability and I don't know if that's because of mechanics or perhaps genetics but I, I just see him as a maybe a 50 to 70 inning a year guy uh, out of the back end of your bullpen. I think that's ideal, and uh, you know, we should take that. Micah, what are your thoughts? Is it totally legit or calling the cops? I think it's totally legit, and this is coming from somebody who I was on board with at least seeing Garrett Whitlock in the rotation. Um, I thought – based on the contract that he had over the next couple of, of years that if they could have made him a starter and it, even if he ended up being a number three starter, that would have been a, a huge bargain. But as Terry stated, the inability to stay healthy is just, 
it's not worth the risk. You want to still get some value out of Garrett Whitlock, and he's a difference maker in the bullpen. The fastball plays different, and he just has the ability to come in, pound the strike zone, and it it feels like the inning is over in a blink of an eye because he just attacks hitters that quickly. And, Terry, you made an interesting point. After next year, they'll lose Jansen, so you need a closer, and Whitlock's contract is super team-friendly. If you're willing to pay Kenley Jansen to be the closer at $16 million a year, I would say Garrett Whitlock at seven or $8 million a year to be your closer is not an overpay. So I think if you want to try to get as much value as possible out of Whitlock, as much guaranteed value, then I think he's got to be in the bullpen. I can see why he's an intriguing option for the rotation, especially since you don't really know who is going to be in the rotation next year. There's a lot of unknowns, but the injuries I'm not willing to waste another year where he could be impacting the the Red Sox in 50 to 60 games. I'd much rather see that than, you know, starting and maybe making 15 starts a year. This one has to be a totally legit. I mean, we saw the upper end performance in 2021. We saw the difference maker that he can be. And, you know, as you mentioned, Terry, moving him into a closer role in the future, he's done it before. You know, sure, it was in... I don't want to call it bulk bullpen relief, but he would go two innings, you know, get those six out saves that are pretty, pretty rare. And he would do it with success. And there aren't many guys that have that ninth inning pedigree. You know, it isn't just so easy as you're dominant as a bullpen arm. Here's the ball in the ninth inning. Go close it out. Um, You know, we kind of see the inverse with Kenley Jansen. If it's a non-save opportunity, he's just not the same pitcher. And so the flexibility and the variety of roles that Garrett Whitlock can play out of the bullpen, I think, allow us to get so much more value from his skill set than it would be to see him every fifth day. And so, you know, for that reason, it has to be totally legit. Otherwise, we are, again, shooting ourselves in the foot uh, for our own hubris purposes. Was there anything else that you guys would like to add to this point? Go ahead, Terry. Yeah, so... He, he's currently at 51 and two thirds innings this year, extremely low. Um, last year between the bullpen and starting, which, you know, he had the hip problem 78 and one third. And then finally 2021 where he had no health issues whatsoever pitched uh, 73 and a third and had a 1.96 ERA, uh, you know, in that role. And his strikeout per nine was was the highest it's been uh, in the three years, which was 9.9, just a tick under 10. So the data screams reliever here. And here's another metric to look at. The strikeouts, 47 strikeouts this year, 82 strikeouts last year, and that was starting nine games. And he was at 81 strictly as a reliever in 2021 so very nearly the most strikeouts he's ever had and it was as a reliever so sign me up for that for the rest of his career very well on to the next one the yankees will finish under 500 this season micah is this totally legit or are you calling the cops the yankees will finish under 500 this season That would be pretty crazy if it did happen, but I am going to call the cops on this one. Um, 
I don't think the Yankees are very good. I've stated that for the last couple of weeks. It's an extremely flawed team, and I do think they are going to finish in last place in the division, but I don't think that's going to be under 500. If you look at their schedule, they have 16 games against the Tigers, Nationals, Pirates, and Royals. Those 16 games, they should be able to beat up on those teams. If they don't, then they're clearly going to um, finish under 500. But they have more winnable series than, say, the Red Sox. So I do think they are going to end up just above 500. Terry, what are your thoughts? I will continue to give the cops the night off, and I'm going to say this is totally legit. They're only two above it right now. Um, you're hoping that judge is gonna, is gonna play the rest of the year. And I'm skeptical about that. Even if they, if they fall below 500, why, why not just pull him out and let him address his foot and get that completely healthy, uh, for next year, Carlos Rodon, I, I don't know what his actual injury status is but he's back on the injured list. Nestor Cortez still on the injured list. I think he is coming back fairly soon, though. Anthony Rizzo is on the concussion uh, injury list. DJ LeMahieu currently banged up. There's just not... I don't see where the wins are going to come from here. Um, I, I just feel like this could finally be the first time, I think, since the 90s, if I'm not mistaken the early nineties that the Yankees are under 500. So I, I just Cashman's done a terrible job. This team is old. Um, their prospects aren't fully developed either. And this is a very bad period uh, for Yankees baseball. And if he gets fired, it's going to suck for us because they're probably going to get somebody smart in there. <laughs> And just imagine how this Red Sox-Yankees rivalry would intensify if we had two very aggressive executives leading both front offices. It would just be... It's so tame right now. It's the petting zoo now. <laughs> so, But I have them under 500. I think it's totally legit as well. Um, I also agree with Terry, what you're saying. Uh, it would be the worst thing for the Red Sox if they did finish under 500, because that would call for, you know, I mean, they're already calling for a cleaning of the house uh, in New York, but, it, you know, there would be a little bit more uh, fire to, or, you know, you could stoke that fire a little bit more if they were to finish under 500. But, I mean, they haven't won a series against a team that wasn't the Royals since, you know, June. Uh, we're halfway through August now. They've got a series against Atlanta coming up. I believe that's also in Atlanta. And then, you know, we go into the into the Bronx with a chance to essentially put their season to bed, uh, you know, if that goes by the way of, of the Red Sox. And so, you know, as you guys have mentioned, it's a poorly constructed team with a lot of aging players. They're mishandling injuries. You know, you got to hope that Rizzo's okay. And, you know, what was a formerly dominant player in Severino now can – can't even find the third inning. Um, and so there's just no help on the way for that matter either. Cashman as well did not sell or buy at the at the deadline. There's no prospects to call up. I don't see where the one's coming from. So I have to also say that they finish below 500. So I'm saying it is totally legit. Anything you guys would like to add on that point? 
Nope. All right, on to the next one. Cutter Crawford will open the 2024 season in the starting rotation. Is this totally legit or calling the cops? Michael, we'll go to you. I have a hard time looking at Terry on this one. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to give my reason because I know Terry will give the opposite of mine. But I do think he's going to start the season in the rotation. Um, and here is why. Um, I've, I've always viewed Cutter Crawford this year as a number five caliber starter. And I think he could absolutely be a fine number five starter. Um, I think he's going to be in the rotation because I don't think Tanner Houck is going to be in the rotation in the future. And I don't think Garrett Whitlock is going to be in the rotation in the future. So that, that leaves the Red Sox with Bayo, Sale, and Pavetta potentially. Um, and I'm hoping, and I'm putting all my eggs in one basket that Heim Bloom is going to go out and sign that Japanese pitcher Yamamoto. And if they're going to commit a lot of money to him, they probably won't have a lot of money to commit to other pitchers that are going to be on the market. So I think if, if it meant that they would sign that pitcher, um, I would be fine with Cutter Crawford being the number five, but I would still want Heimblum to bring in another starter just because of depth. This team, they did not properly plan for the depth of a full major league season with this rotation. And Chris Sale, you know he's going to go on the IL at some point. So they need more depth. So hopefully they sign someone other than Yamamoto. But I'm hoping he's the guy. But Cutter Crawford, I think he's probably been he's probably been a top three MVP candidate on this roster just because of he's kept them afloat in terms of the rotation. Without him, I don't know where this team would be. He has been so important to that rotation. Um, and I know I, I'm not speaking MVP in terms of like crazy production, but he has been so valuable in that rotation. And I think he has enough to be a number five starter in the big leagues. All right, Terry, go ahead. <laughs> for the record, I am agnostic, but for the love of everything that is good and holy, I hope he is nowhere near the starting rotation. Um, the problem with Yamamoto is you have to convince him that Boston is awesome and that, you know, he should play here. Um, it's just tough to get those Japanese players over here with Yoshida. We, our offer was double apparently what the next closest offer was. So that's how we ended up with him on the flip side of that. You do have Yoshida as a recruiter. You can probably ask a big favor of, um, Koji Uihara to perhaps come in and say, yeah, yeah, Boston's a great place to play. And, and maybe maybe it gets done. And and also, for the record, I know I destroyed the Yoshida signing. I expressed nothing but pessimism on it because just you don't get a ton of good bats out of that Asian market, you know, at least to the level of a $20 million player. And um, but I, I am a lot more open-minded towards uh, pitching out of those markets. We, we have seen guys come over and be successful, you know, at a much higher rate. In the Red Sox case, it's been bullpen arms, you know, Tozawa, Hideki Okajima, Koji Uihara. But 
I wouldn't mind seeing uh, a Yamamoto signing necessarily, but I think I, I'll differ from Micah in that I think Hauk will be a starter, uh, at least to start the year. I think that's what they'll plan on. Uh, and then you got Bayo, you got Sale. Um, I'm assuming Pavetta will be here because they had a golden opportunity to move him and they didn't. So perhaps they look at him as an inexpensive uh, piece to have in there. But if if Crawford is is in there, I just I think there's going to be a lot of mediocrity, you know, continuing um, in you know with with how we sign pitchers basically so that's uh that aspect of it would be what what gets me fired up and he hasn't demonstrated uh outside of today all year long that he can pitch at home like that's been a glaring problem for him the velocity has also dipped and he's similar to Bayo in that he's never really had a workload like this so I, I hope it doesn't happen. I hope we, like this this previous winter, we blew every team out of the water with how aggressively we built our bullpen. I, I hope the mindset next year is, is a very aggressive uh, build of the rotation. And if I get my way, Crawford wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be a part of that. Terry, your last take of all of your takes ends up taking what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> I was just going to break down, you know, Bloom has addressed the lineup and added position players, you know, consistently throughout the off seasons. But last year was a focus on building up the bullpen. You know, what was previously one of the worst in our, dare I say, MLB history has now become uh, a forte of this team, right? And if you add Whitlock into that mix, I think it only gets stronger. And for that reason, I think this one is... Uh, I'm going to have to call the cops because I think Bloom in the front office have to attack the starting rotation. It is, you know, his white whale, his main uh, shortcoming or whatever you want to call it. He hasn't built a starting rotation that is capable of, you know, not only competing in the postseason, getting to the postseason, getting to the end of the season for that matter. Um, it's a lot of arms that have had some miles or some injury risks and, and some other issues. Um, and, you know, Micah, you made a great point. This team, as up and down as it has been, it'd be a lot worse if Petter Crawford wasn't taking the ball every, you know, fourth to sixth day or whatever bullpen rotation it ends up being before he gets the ball again. He's been huge for us, and he's been a great, you know, line five starter. Um, I just really hope that we allocate more resources to it, and if Crawford needs to be a spot starter guy, we know, like, hey, this is going to be a better day than a regular bullpen day. If he needs to be the long relief guy, we know that we've got basically six starters. And I think that's a flexibility and, um, you know, and an advantage that it would give our team uh, as long as we can fill out those first five. Anything else you guys would like to add on that point? Yes, Michael. Yeah, I would just like to add that I do think Crawford's best value is as a long reliever. I, I think he is so valuable in that role. I mean, I would even trust him late in, in in the eighth inning to come in and for an inning and get an out. Like that's how much confidence I have in him. And I would love to see him if if they need a spot starter, he could give you four innings and then pass it on to somebody else. I think if the Red Sox were to do that, I would be totally on board. But if you told me that Heim Bloom's going to go out and get a big starting pitcher, starting pitching free agent, I'm not convinced he's going to say go out and get another one as well. 
You know, if he goes out and say they actually do land Yamamoto, I don't think he's going to go out and land Jordan Montgomery or another pitcher like that. I, I don't see him landing two fairly high-priced free agent starting pitchers. I'm just not sure that's in the cards. And if if that's not in the cards, then I do think Crawford, I could see him being in this rotation. Well, let me also throw this out there. Are we going to be screaming for offense this offseason to go add this big expensive bat? Or, or are we good? Because I think we're good. I mean, we'll add someone, but it's not going to be at a high price tag. I, I think the future is is bright in, in terms of the core that we currently have, especially if you're looking at story for a hundred and uh, why I almost said 162, but I should say 150. And if Gore keeps his job, maybe 140. But you know, basically a, a full season by 2024 standards. But you've got a ton of offense in here, and you've got the uh, center fielder there, Sedan uh, Rafaela. Uh, you know, on the precipice of getting called up, and Meyer is struggling. I, I still think there's a 50-50 shot we see him in the second half next year, but there shouldn't be a ton of money to that you need to really allocate towards offense and your bullpen is essentially set with the guys you already have so so why not make a big splash why not allocate all that extra money and we we are under the the luxury tax uh presently so there won't be any penalties and you only have one more year of chris sale at like 28 to 30 million so Going above it this year, you might still easily get under it the the next year with that money coming off the books. And uh, I'm just looking. I don't think anything else. Well, Jansen and Martin combined for about uh, $24 million a year. So um, that, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to be signed beyond 2024. They're both in their mid to late 30s. So. Uh, and theoretically, you should have some arms coming up that can serve, uh, you know, in a late inning role. So, so that that's just more reason why I'll be upset if we don't make, um, you know, big additions to this uh, starting rotation. I think Terry, the the only offensive position of question is whether or not Justin Turner decides to opt in as your DH because if you don't have him, say he opts out and he wants a two-year deal and the Red Sox don't want to do a two-year deal, then you do have a hole in your lineup because he's a middle-of-the-order bat. You need to fill that with somebody, and that will cost money if that's what happens. Yeah, and that brings a whole interesting set of questions because if you don't pursue him, does Yoshida become your DH? And then perhaps you're targeting an outfielder at that point. But I don't think it, it's going to have to be necessarily, you know, uh, a five to eight year deal that you're you're looking for. You can probably go get someone for a year or two and, you know, it'll be pretty short term, I think. And, and probably in the neighborhood of no more than 12 to 15 a year. A guy I, I have on my, in my mind is Reese Hoskins from the Phillies. He's coming back from ACL injury. I would love to see 
the Red Sox try to, to strike a deal with him, maybe even just a two- or three-year deal just because he's coming back from an injury. But I think his swing is built for Fenway. Would be a great addition, but I think you guys are right. I don't, I don't know if necessarily offenses we really need to spend a lot of our, our resources or, or attention. Um, you know, this offense has shown the ability to hang with the best of them. Um, you know, it's just a model of consistency moving forward, I think, would be the main thing, right? Uh, but moving on to our last totally legit or calling the cops, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays will miss the playoffs. Terry, is this totally legit or are you calling the cops? That's a tough one. Uh, I meant to have their depth chart pulled up. Um, I know Glass now is still pitching, so that's good. You know, they still do have uh, essentially an ace uh, to trot out there every five days. But, um, you know, looking at, at where they are now, um, I, I'm going to – they're at 71 wins. You know, that's nine ahead of the Red Sox. I have a hard time believing that they're going to fall – extremely catastrophically um we're only now just getting reports of the uh wander franco situation and there's speculation uh that perhaps he might have been involved with an underage girl and he was sat from uh sunday's game uh in tampa and was not on the flight out to san francisco uh to play the giants so we don't know what that's going to yield. Um, you know, there's multiple layers. I mean, if, if there's criminal charges, then he won't be playing for a long time. If there's no criminal charges, he's still uh, possibly going to be suspended. So th that's the only pause I have is is taking his bat out of the lineup for the rest of the season. But even so, uh, I'm still cautiously optimistic that at a minimum they will be the third wild card team uh if not higher micah is the tampa bay race missing the playoffs totally legit or are you calling the cops i'm gonna call the cops on this one just because i think the 40-man roster is talented enough to withstand the injuries that they've dealt with I do think the Shane McClanahan injury, the fact that he will be done for the year, that's a major, major blow. And I think that really prevents them from making any type of run in October. Um, I don't think they're going to hold on to the top wild card spot, but I do think they will secure either the second or the third spot. They'd have to drop six and a half games you know, behind the, and they'd have to drop six and a half games in terms of the, the standings. And I just don't know if I see that happening. They haven't played well since I would say the end of May really, but that's a lot of games to, to, for somebody to catch them. And they're, they already have the top spot. So they'd really have to drop, you know, behind a bunch of teams. I just don't know if I see that happening. But we'll see with the Franco uh, situation. That could be a development as well. But for right now, um, on August 14th, I'm going to say calling the cops. I, too, am going to call the cops. I think their season was bolstered by that historic start. Uh, as you mentioned, you know they haven't really played their best baseball since May. But 
this is also a team that's largely a faceless organization, right? Like you have your McClanahan's, you have your Glasnow's, sure. You know, you have guys here and there, especially on the pitching side of the ball, but you can't really point to offensive juggernauts that come out of Tampa. Yet that machine keeps rolling. They crank out 91 seasons on the regular and they find a way to get it done. You know, recently with the guys like Franco and Rosarena, they're starting to have some, some people that are catching the national spotlight, um, but, you know, I think this is a machine that's going to continue to, to produce. Uh, Micah, you mentioned it. The 40-man is very deep. You know, time will only tell what is going to come out of the developments of the Juan Franco situation. Uh, but I think the team is, uh, unfortunately for the Red Sox, too soundly built uh, for them to miss the playoffs. So I will call the cops as well. Terry, over to you. So... Finally, uh, I do have my depth chart up, and you know, their pitching doesn't look that bad. Tyler Glass now, as I said, is their ace. They traded for Aaron Savali at the deadline. He is having a very good year. I know there was a lot of controversy with the Guardians and Terry Francona for starting Savali in Game 5 last year against the Yankees instead of Bieber, but, but he is having a pretty good year. They have Zach Eflin as well. Um, they've got a prospect named Taj Bradley. I want to say the Red Sox faced him. Let's see if I can find it on the fly. Yeah, on April 12th, he went five innings against the Red Sox, only gave up three earned runs. He has scuffled. Oh, and he did uh, as well. Yeah, he, wow, he's pitched well against the Red Sox. Another start uh, June 4th, five innings again, two earned runs. Uh, he's got a problem with walks, and he's been called up and optioned a couple of times. So, if they can just get his command figured out, I mean, he his strikeout per nine right now is almost 12. Like, that dude can can strike people out. So if they can just get the walks down, they could call him up and he could be a very viable, you know, arm in, you know, in September and potentially October. So, um, so I, I'm even more comfortable now with uh, with them uh, staying a wild card team. I think that makes a playoffs for the three of us. Is there anything else that you gentlemen would like to add to tonight? Nope. Well, that wraps it for all of us here tonight. We want to thank all of our loyal listeners and to our first time listeners as well. We appreciate all of you, whether you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We thank you. Everyone have a great night and take care.